Hello everyone. You are listening to the Creative Biolabs podcast, we provide reliable exosome-related services and products to clients around the world. Our services cover all aspects of exosome isolation and purification, identification, antibody and engineering. Dear friends in the audience, welcome to another edition of our program, I am Connie. In this episode, I am joined by our old friend, Dr. Hofstadter, to discuss more interesting knowledge. Welcome, Dr. Hofstadter, nice to see you again. Thank you, Connie. And good evening, friends in the audience. So, we repeatedly mentioned that tumor-derived exosomes are present in the body fluids of cancer patients. Based on this important knowledge, we have discussed in previous episodes how tumor-derived exosomes promote tumor development by down-regulating immune cell function. And we concluded that apoptosis of activated tumor-specific T-cells decreased natural killer cell activity and increased frequency of regulatory T-cells in peripheral blood or tumor sites are common in cancer patients. There is evidence that tumor-derived exosomes have immunomodulatory properties and contribute to CD8 plus effector T-cell apoptosis, regulatory T-cells expansion, and suppression of natural killer cell activity. These exosomes carry membrane-associated molecules, such as FOS ligands, and are responsible for their ability to regulate peripheral tolerance in cancer patients. I think in this episode, maybe we could shift our focus to the role of tumor microvesicles in tumorigenicity. Dr. Hofstadter, what would you say? Yeah, I agree. You know, we must understand that. Tumor growth and metastasis depend on complex interactions between tumor cells and tumor stroma, as well as tumor-tumor interactions. This communication occurs through direct interactions, secreted factors, and microvesicles carrying proteins and nucleic acids. So and I think we could start with the interaction of tumor cells and stroma. So, what functions do microvesicles present in the tumor environment play in tumor stromal interactions? Generally speaking, the roles of these vesicles include induction of angiogenesis, tumor proliferation, and attenuation of immune responses. The tumor environment includes tumor cells as well as stromal and vascular cells involved in events required for tumor growth. There are complex interactions between cell types in tumors to promote tumor growth and metastasis. I mean, multiple cell types exist in tumors all of which play important roles in tumor progression. Intercellular signal transduction occurs with the release of some secreted molecules. It also occurs through the release of microvesicles containing various proteins, lipids, and nucleic acids. Tumor cells release large numbers of microvesicles that can bombard neighboring cells with proteins and nucleic acids for extended periods. Tumor cells need to hijack normal endothelial cells to form new blood vessels, and they also need to evade immune responses that would otherwise limit their ability to grow. Tumor cells and stromal cells communicate with each other through secreted factors and microvesicles. Microvesicles can transfer molecules that are not secreted through the classical secretory pathway. I think we have briefly mentioned that the MMP family is produced by tumor cells and stromal fibroblasts. As we said, they play a key role in the metastatic spread of tumors. 
and among them, MMP2 and MMP9 are particularly important for tumor invasion and metastasis. How do microvesicles use these enzymes to influence the tumor environment? You know, the major substrate for these enzymes is type 4 collagen, a major component of the basement membrane and barrier to tumor invasion. Tumor microvesicles are rich in MMPs. The proteolytic activity of tumor microvesicles shed from human cancer cells has been shown to correlate with their aggressiveness. And I want to stress that, actually in many tumors, stromal fibroblasts but not tumor cells produce MMPs. This expression is regulated in part by inducers of extracellular matrix MMPs. I see. And I know emprin is a type 1 transmembrane glycoprotein, which is usually enriched on the surface of tumor cells and can induce fibroblasts to produce protease. What are the results when it is associated with microvesicles? Well, microvesicles have long been thought to be involved in cell motility and tissue remodeling, especially during embryogenesis. In normal cells, the release of microvesicles is controlled by time, physiology, or hormones. Cancer cells appear to universally activate pathways that lead to microvesicle shedding. Tumor microvesicles containing emprin can stimulate the production of MMPs in fibroblasts as well as in endothelial cells. As a result, it induced proangiogenic responses in endothelial cells, including increased invasiveness, increased MMPs, and increased tubule formation in vitro. How do microvesicles induce non-anchored growth and enhanced viability of transformed cells for transfer to normal fibroblasts and epithelial cells? As far as I know, it is by transferring tissue transglutaminase and fibronectin, which synergistically activate mitotic signaling in recipient cells. Not only that, I mean tumor microvesicles can also stimulate the growth of tumor cells and endothelial cells indicating that they are autocrine and paracrine mediators of growth. Microvesicles can carry growth factors as well as growth factor receptors to stimulate important signaling pathways and growth responses in endothelial cells. Okay. Here comes another question. We know forbalmyristate acetate that induces protein kinase C, calcium mobilization, and mitogen-activated protein kinase pathways can also stimulate the release of tumor microvesicles. What do you think of its research meaning on cancer therapy? So you've all raised some interesting points here. You know, this pathway is frequently upregulated in cancer, making it a common target of choice for multiple new chemotherapeutics. The activation of the RAF-MEK-ERK pathway plays an important role in the proliferation, differentiation, invasion, and metastasis of cancer cells, and has become an important pathway for anti-lung cancer drug research. You see, anti-cancer MEK1-2 inhibitors currently in development may also affect microvesicle release in vivo. MEK1-2 are known to activate mitogen-activated protein kinases, and MEK1-2 inhibitors have been shown to reverse the upregulation of microvesicle shedding. Okay. Dr. Hofstadter, I know this may sound amateur, but may I ask why inhibit that kinase signaling pathway? What does it have to do with the increased secretion of tumor microvesicles? Never mind Connie. You know, many tumors have activation of the MAPK pathway, 
resulting in uncontrolled tumor cell growth. This may also be the reason why tumor cells release large amounts of microvesicles. Additionally, other oncogenic events, such as activating mutations in KRAS or loss of P53, also lead to increased microvesicle release. Now I get it. Which cytokines are involved in tumor microvesicle release? I think several members of the RAS superfamily appear to be involved in microvesicle trafficking and release from cells. These include the RAB and ARF subfamilies previously shown to be involved in vesicle trafficking. Furthermore, P53 is also associated with the release of tumor microvesicles. In cells with functional P53, P53 has been shown to upregulate the transmembrane protein TSAP6. TSAP6 later promotes a series of responses ranging from apoptosis, cell cycle regulation to vesicular trafficking. Studies have shown that cells carrying wild-type P53 have increased secretion of tumor microvesicles, even in the absence of apoptosis, whereas cells carrying mutant P53 are not affected. We all know that tumor microvesicles carry a variety of cargoes, including oncogenic proteins, fragmented DNA, messenger RNA, and non-coding RNAs with regulatory functions, which can be transferred horizontally between different cells. So I think maybe we could talk about microvesicle-mediated horizontal gene transfer. Let's start with the fundamentals. Dr. Hofstadter, what is horizontal gene transfer? Horizontal gene transfer is the phenomenon in which nucleic acid is transferred from one donor cell to another recipient cell. Nucleic acids can be DNA or RNA, sometimes resulting in expression in recipient cells. Horizontal gene transfer is a common mechanism by which prokaryotes rapidly adapt to environmental changes and a driving force in prokaryotes' evolution, but its importance in eukaryotes was previously thought to be of limited or no importance. Then how do nucleic acids shuttle between eukaryotic cells? Well, I have to admit, this is not clear so far. But I think it is worth mentioning that RNA is very susceptible to degradation if released unprotected in the extracellular environment. And it is now increasingly evident that nucleic acids and other molecules not secreted directly into the extracellular space can still be transferred through these microvesicles and mediate cell-to-cell -cell communication and gene transfer in human cells. I believe the discovery adds a new layer of complexity to cell-to-cell -to -cell communication. Different types of nucleic acids can play a role in tissue development and homeostasis, as well as in the manipulation of their environment by tumor cells. While most tumor transcriptomes can be found in microvesicles, there are enrichments for certain RNA species. This suggests that the genetic material has a special packaging mechanism, similar to that of a virus. Which RNAs can microvesicles package simultaneously? From my experience, a large fraction of the transcriptome, including messenger RNAs, microRNAs, and other non-coding RNAs, could be detected in a batch of purified microvesicles. But one thing I would add, not all RNA transcripts are in the same vesicle. You know, the size of microvesicles limits their packaging capacity. Transmission electron microscopy revealed that microvesicles were very heterogeneous in size and content. 
But on average, a microvesicle is similar in size to a retroviral particle. A single retroviral particle can package two single-stranded RNA molecules of approximately 7 to 10 kb in length and some selected host RNA. However, it is unclear how pure the retroviral preparations prepared from microvesicles are. When we look at the RNA profiles of microvesicle preparations, the RNA levels were reflected as the average of these heterogeneous particles. So microvesicles, including apoptotic bodies, have been shown to transfer RNA and DNA between cells. How does this relate to tumorigenicity? It's a great question. And what I would say is apoptotic bodies can horizontally transfer oncogene sequences and induce tumorigenic phenotypes in untransformed cells. Studies have shown that P53 protein has the function of protecting recipient cells from foreign DNA incorporation. Because P53 deficient recipient cells are more likely to be incorporated by horizontally metastatic oncogenes. Okay. I've read that tumor microvesicles also carry amplified oncogenes. Can you give us an example? Sure, let me think. Ah, uh, for example, the tumor microvesicles carry CMYC, a multifunctional oncogene involved in several steps of the carcinogenesis process. It can regulate tumor growth and induce genomic instability. CMYC has also been shown to be involved in regulating tumor stroma, activating inflammatory responses, and inducing angiogenesis. How about the effect of microvesicle RNA transfer in vivo? Unfortunately, the effect of microvesicle RNA transfer is mostly studied in vitro, and the effect in vivo is still preliminary. I mean not all mechanisms of microvesicle gene transfer are currently understood, including factors involved in cell affinity and determinants of nucleic acid fate upon arrival in recipient cells. The effect of transfer to recipient cells will be the net effect of all the different lipids, proteins, sugar moieties, and nucleic acids present, in and on the microcapsules. I see. Then what does the type of substance contained in the microbubbles depend on? As I've just mentioned, it depends on the type of vesicle and the cell of origin. Let me give you an example, the content of tumor microvesicles differs from that of dendritic cell microvesicles. The transfer of microvesicles always involves a range of different lipids, proteins, sugars, and nucleic acids. This can make microbubbles more powerful messengers, when several effector molecules need to be presented simultaneously. But it also makes it more difficult to study the effects of individual proteins and nucleic acids carried by microvesicles. I think there are preliminary reports on the role of specific microvesicle RNAs in vivo, and microvesicle microRNAs in food sources can affect target genes in mammals. But I have to say, the significance of this finding requires further study. Maybe one question, one last question. Microvesicles have also been shown to act as release hatches for excess material in cells, a classic example being the release of transferrin receptors during respiratory maturation. Does this mean that microvesicle-mediated transfer is not strictly controlled? You can say that, I mean, it is indeed unknown to what extent the microvesicle-mediated transfer is accidental transfer. The main cause of microvesicle shedding is likely the removal of certain proteins and nucleic acids, 
rather than sending messages to surrounding cells. However, the net effect of tumor microvesicle shedding appears to be to promote tumor growth by stimulating angiogenesis, promoting tumor cell proliferation, blunting the immune system, and promoting metastasis. That's a great closing point. Maybe we are going to stop here. Thank you, Dr. Hofstadter, for all your insights today. Until our next episode, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, I hope we will see you next time.